welcome back, audience, to the Dairy Science Digest, our monthly podcast highlighting articles and press of the Journal of Dairy Science. And this month, we're talking specifically about your replacement heifer. And we know that this is a critical topic on everyone's operations since it was recently estimated that nearly 15% of all the United States dairy calves born never make it to the first calving event. So to shed a little bit of light on this topic, we've invited Dr. Juliet Van Eker to join us from Canada. She's an expert in dairy heifer development and specifically focusing in on the nutritional aspect. The title of the article that we're highlighting on this month is New Frontiers in Calf and Heifer Nutrition. And this is from Conception to Puberty. So Dr. Van Eker, could you tell us a little more about yourself? Hello, everybody. Currently, I am at the Lakeland College in Vermilion in Alberta, and I am teaching um, all of the dairy courses to the students that are in our Animal Science Technology Diploma Program. Um, Previously, I did my PhD at the University of Alberta under the supervision of Dr. Michael Steele, who is now currently at the University of Guelph. And that is with who um, I wrote the article that we will be discussing today. And this is a very comprehensive article. It encompasses, well, let me see, 14 pages of research with an additional eight pages of references focusing on this window of development for your replacement heifers from conception into puberty. When you were writing up this article, what what were some thoughts going through your mind? Did it, Did you know which direction of heifer development was going to be the most important? No, when we wrote this article or when we planned it, we tried to focus on some of the main areas. And we know that there's two main areas that can influence calf or heifer development, namely our maternal effects and then also our postnatal effects. And those were the ones that we focused on more. And then within that, we layered our discussion, but I don't think there's one area that is more important than the other one when we look at calf or heifer development. I think this emerging topic focused around prenatal programming, fetal programming, while that calf is inside the uterus of of the dam is just absolutely fascinating. Could you shed any light on some different things that might cause that calf to be impacted while she's in utero? I know that in a previous podcast, you talked about some of the heat stress that can potentially negatively affect the fetus's growth. And then that will be also evident when um, the calf is born and when it's a calf. But some other nutritional ask is energy and protein. And when we limit energy and protein during the dry period of the cow, it can influence Um, that fetus. And then later on in life, when that fetus is a cow, it might not um, milk as much during that first lactation. Really fascinating, kind of controversial a little bit, because sometimes we we certainly limit some total dry matter intake uh, by decreasing the, the energy concentration, but maybe even feeding straw to hopefully help metabolic disease in the cow, but that might have negative impacts on the calf. Yes. If we think about our dry cows, usually in Canada, they go somewhere where they're kind of out of sight. We look at them a couple of times a day and we 
limit their energy intake by including more straw in the diet. And that is one thing that we do because if they are overconditioned, they might get metabolic diseases when they calve. But we don't think about how that would potentially influence the calf development um, when it's a fetus. And that's something that we definitely need to consider in the future as well. Absolutely. Very good. What are some other maternal factors that you think play a role in the success of your heifer crop? So the other maternal effects um, can come from colostrum. So we know that colostrum is made through colostrogenesis during the, when the cow is going through her dry period. And that is when she deposits all of these bioactive compounds or lipids or some of our proteins into the colostrum. We feed the colostrum to the calf and then that can potentially also program the calf for future production or growth. So some of the compounds that we specifically look at is oligosaccharides, which can also help with the establishment of some of the microbes. So the bugs in our stomachs and the calves, how it can influence them and make the more beneficial microbes grow in the calf that will also help the calf with their calf health and establishing more of an immunity against some of the pathogenic bacteria that might be in the gut as well. So just uh, fostering a healthier gut microbiome through colostrum. That's fascinating. What's your favorite way to measure serum IgG? Because I, I noticed you had referenced a 2020 article about different benchmarks, new benchmarks with the serum IgG. How, how do commercial guys capture serum immunoglobulin G? So one of the methods that can be used is to take a blood sample from the calf, and then you have to spin it down to get the serum. And then you can use your refractometer that you use to measure your IgG and your colostrum before you feed it to the calf to measure um, the total proteins in the blood. And that will tell you if you fed adequate colostrum to the calf and if it has passive transfer. I suspect if they just work with their herd veterinarian, they ought to be able to spin down those red tops with no problem at all. Do you have a recommendation of how many, if, if a guy's having trouble with his hutch heifers, how many uh, serum samples should he capture relative to the total number of calves on the ground? Um, I would say that you have to do a group of calves. Um, one or two is not going to tell you exactly what is going on in your herd or it might not capture the colostrum that you're giving to your calves either, because each cow do produce different colostrums. We all know that heifers have different colostrum than cows. So measuring a group of calves, um, just one batch might not be optimum because we also know that seasonal changes can also influence our colostrum. But if you can do half of the calves minimum for each group, of calves in a month, that will give you a good representative of what is going on in your herd. More is always better. Very good. That'll help you get an understanding of what's going on. Cause I, you referenced an article about colostrum in the United States, about 12% of heifers sampled showed that they had an incomplete 
transfer of passive immunity. And so that initial immune response with your colostrum is absolutely critical. And so that 12% of your herd, boy, they've got an uphill climb to make it. And and in Canada, that's as much as 24%. Um, And so just making subtle changes to colostrum management can make a huge difference. And the trouble is, it seems like uh, in herds that I help serve, most folks don't really know what their passive transfer rate is. And, um, and I think taking a little bit of time to capture these representative samples could be a huge in- indicator on the success or failure of that, of that hedge heifer. Cool. Are there, are there any other maternal influences that you'd like to highlight? One of the other things that I would also consider doing is feeding transition milk to our calves, because if you make that switch from colostrum to milk, it can also be hard on the calves. So feeding them colostrum um, or transition milk for a longer period of time would definitely benefit them because then they still get some of those bioactives and proteins that are in the milk that can help them. And there is a study that we have referenced that showed that when we fed calves a mixture of colostrum and whole milk for a longer period of time, there is the potential to have better gut growth. So longer surface area or more surface area. And that means that that calf have the potential to absorb nutrients a lot better, which would essentially make them more efficient in the long run. So if you have transition milk, feed it to your calves because they will definitely benefit from that. And that's also one of the maternal effects that can influence or program our calves. Most of the time we're, we're keeping her out of the tank anyway. So if there's any possible way to logistically get that milk to the baby calves, that sounds like it could could potentially be a very effective, affordable thing that could be implemented fairly easily. So when you were studying that to get those longer palpili or better growth in the gut, how many days did you have to feed the transition milk to get that response? It was three days. Three days. And so feeding it for three days surely is, uh, is reasonable. If the only practical way to feed transition milk were to co-mingle many cows together and then feed that transition milk to a variety of calves, um, would you still recommend that based on the disease risk? So um, yes, there's definitely the potential for disease transition, especially for Yoni's disease or leukosis, um, if you do feed that milk from that cow to the calves. And that is why we still do recommend that you pasteurize it if it's possible. A lot of farmers do not test their cows, so they don't know which cows are Yoni's or leukosis positive. So then it's a gambling game, I guess. But um, I think for the long run, it will benefit the calf. Um, It just depends on if you would take that risk. On the postnatal effects, so postnatal, after she is born and she's living in the hutch, what what are some postnatal effects that could be impacting the success of your heifer crop? So our postnatal effects that can potentially program our calf to be a better cow or a better milking cow one day is definitely our solid feed. So that would include our calf starters, our hays, our 
silages, all the solid feed that we feed our calf or heifer during their life. And they all have different effects on the calf depending on the age, because as the calf age and it becomes a heifer, it goes through the pre-puberal or post-puberal stages, then the postnatal effects have less of a programming effect on those animals. We need to feed adequate nutrition through our milk because our milk replacer will also influence our calves. I know I said solid feed, but essentially our milk replacer is solids as well. So feeding adequate nutrition to our calf through our milk program will is the first start to program that heifer or that calf. And, and it's not just by feeding six or eight liters, but you have to go back and think about it because if we have highlighted here that originally um, people did feed their calves four or five liters, which a lot of people still do. They're hungry, they're stressed. Yes, it is more, more economically feasible to do that, but you have to think about the calf in the long run. So she's going to make you more money potentially if she's going to milk more or if she's going to be a good cow. So if you feed her adequate milk when she's a calf, she has the potential to become that good cow. So definitely consider that. And it's not just any milk replacer. Think about a milk replacer with good amount of protein because we want lean body tissue on that calf. If you feed one with high fat and not enough protein, she's definitely going to deposit more fat on her body. It's just really fascinating that what we feed her for the first few months of her life has a lasting effect for her entire productive life. That is mind blowing to me. So if there were one or two specific nutritional recommendations that you would give to boots on the ground during and focused in on these, uh, on these young stock, what would it be? So the first one that comes to mind to me is that when we wean them, we like to see more gradual weaning processes and the calves can be a little bit older. Um, So around eight weeks is a good target for weaning calves or starting to wean them depending on your milk program. And then feed them adequate calf starters or growers at that point to make sure that they get all the nutrients in um, that they need to grow into heifers. So when you say a gradual weaning, could you describe that a little bit more? So a gradual weaning is where you typically do multiple steps over multiple days. So if it's over 10 days, um, usually that is good. Don't do it over five days. Um, Your calf might still struggle. So do it over a longer period of time and do multiple steps and it's more gradual. Then the calves seem to do better and they definitely get onto that calf starter or grower better. They don't lose that body weight and get stunned it during that period. So let's talk a little more about that starter that you're referring to. What what is the ideal solid feed as you're programming your calf to be successful? So the ideal calf starter would be a calf starter that contains lots of grains, whether it's in textured form or a pelleted form. 
because the grains are going to help with rumen development. And if we don't have good functional rumens, we won't have good cows that will produce lots of milk. And that is where this starts, is right at the beginning when we feed our calves starter. Usually they don't eat a lot of starter before three weeks, so we really need to try and get them on there. A lot of casters do contain molasses to get calves to eat it. Um, our casters also need to have adequate protein. So around 22% of crude protein is good in our calf starters um, because that will promote lean tissue growth. Could you tell us a little bit about starch concentration right around wean? Like what would be the ideal solid feed starch composition? So typically for calf starters, we do feed higher starch because we do want those good grains in the diet to help with rumen development. And studies have shown that when we feed higher amounts of starches, so 35% plus, calves do grow better. The downfall from that is that there is always the potential for these calves to get ruminal acidosis. However, we know that ruminal acidosis is very common in calves. But there are some studies that also have shown that even though the calves do experience low pH, which we consider ruminal acidosis, the calves don't get sick from it or um, they're not negatively influenced by that low pH. And we do think that maybe that low pH is important to help rumen development move along and it's part of the process. Well, that's uh, very different from our milk cow herd, for sure. That acidosis can really throw them off, but it's just fascinating how the gut evolves in different physiological status of these critters. All right. Is is there anything else about that post-weaned heifer? So she's already successfully weaned, and she's somewhere in between that and breeding age. Um, what, What should we know about that critter? So for the calf that is now becoming a heifer as it goes through um, the stages of puberty, we don't want to switch them to a high forage diet right after weaning. That calf's human is not fully developed yet. Therefore, we still have to supply some starches through grains to that heifer so that it can keep growing the rumen and it can keep putting on muscle and keep growing. So uh, adequate body weight or average daily gain that a lot of um, research has shown to target is around that 800 grams of gain per day. And to rewind a little bit, I quickly Googled the 800 grams for those of you that think in pounds is 1.76 pounds per head per day is a, is a nice lean growth that, that she's recommending for us. And that can be accomplished through various different diets. Whatever is on your farm, you can make work. So typically we don't feed high grain diets to our heifers because they will most likely get over conditioned and deposit fat. Um, So we can get away with feeding them more forages, but for your forages, you need to make sure that it's not just straw. It needs to be a mixture of things. So if you do feed silage and it's very rich in energy, you can dilute it out 
with some straw so that the, the heifers still get that room in full and they feel full. Typically on an NDF or fiber component, we want to be at 1% of the heifer's body weight because if we go over that, it cannot physically eat that much and then they won't grow as well either. So you feed them mostly forages during this stage, but make sure that they still get the adequate amount of energy. So 1% of total body weight, that's a good benchmark. That, that is... It's 1% NDF of body weight. Got it. And so I'm very excited that um, you're giving us the, the rite of passage as they get a little bit older to, to feed those high quality homegrown forages in hopes of helping offset some of the costs of these costly commodities that we're about ready to experience or actively experiencing. And so that's nice and, and making sure that that 1% of total body weight in NDF. So if you're doing a good job putting up hay, then you could probably save quite a bit in your replacement energy program. Very good. Well, we've talked about a lot of different things. If there was one thing that you want every dairyman across the nation to take into consideration, to really focus in on? Is there one thing with the calf development that you would emphasize? I would say that don't forget about your calves. They are the future of your milking herd. Feed them well. And as you move them through their life from diet, because they do go through many diet changes, Make it as smooth as possible because you don't want to make major changes. It can set them back. So um, the moment when you make a change to any of the diets, consider adapting them to that diet the same way as what you will adapt a dry cow or a close-up cow to a fresh diet. You have to do the same for the, for the calves or the heifers as well because their body goes through shock a little and then you might lose all the good that you did before during that period. And then it's going to be costly as well. So just take into account that you do everything as smooth as possible. And that doesn't cost anything except for a little bit of time and foresight. I love that the most important thing that folks could do is something that doesn't really cost anything. And it just ensures the security of the investment that you've already made. Um, and so thank you so much for your time. This has been really informative. Your article is in press in the Journal of Dairy Science, really does a great job encapsulating all of the literature around this topic. And so I wanna thank you so much for your time writing the article and I wanna congratulate you for getting it in press and, um, and thank you for your time today. And as listeners, as always, I applaud you for taking time out of your day to learn about details around your replacement heifer development program and where these opportunities to improve or maybe reduce costs on your operations might be. And this has been the sixth edition of season two for the Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles that are in press to provide you sound science to base your management decisions on. And it's brought to you by your university, a Missouri dairy team. So please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This has been Reagan Blue with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day. 